Sometimes I just feel so bad interrupting your social time there. It's good. <laughs> Who said yeah? Who was that? <laughs> Jody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, right on. Hey, we're in Philippians chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bibles with me. Good, I'm, I'm heading off uh, this afternoon. I got pastor's conference this week, so uh, heading to that, uh, the Calvary Chapel conference, and uh, be a good week, so be out of the office, and just keep that in mind as your week goes, and keep us in prayer. It'll be a good, good time, and sweet. So uh, yeah, let's just pray as we come to God's word, and uh, Carrie had said to me, man, let's pray for Francis, and so yeah, let's do that. Let's pray for Francis, okay? Uh, Lord, I just thank you. Um, for the way that you're at work. And Lord, thank you for Brennan's testimony this morning. And we just lift up this man, Francis, to you all the way around the other side of the world. Lord, we thank you that prayer uh, reaches the throne, God, and uh, that we can lift him up. And so, God, we thank you for his new faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that he would be uh, strengthened in that, Lord. We pray that his roots would go deep into you, Lord. I pray that you'd make that man like an oak tree, with regards to his faith, Lord, that his roots would grow deep so that his impact could be wide. And so, Lord, would you bless him there in that mall in Oman? Lord, we pray that he would have a clear and powerful testimony for the name of Jesus. I pray, God, for the gift of healing upon that man so that when he encounters situations, he'll lay hands on people and pray in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, would you fill him with your spirit today, God, and we thank you for him. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you for the word of God. Um, it's living, it's active, and Lord, we, we come to the word recognizing this morning that it's the authority, not us. We're not sitting in the judge's seat. It's our lives that need to come in line with your word. And so Lord, we ask that you would transform us by the power of your spirit this morning. Change us, Lord, and give us ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. So back in Philippians here, and I guess we need to just kind of set the table this morning a little bit to um, get a grasp of where Paul's been, where we've been going, especially maybe if, if you weren't around last week or something like that. And so it's good for us to recall where we've been so we can see where we're going and get that bearing. And so um, Paul has been giving this instruction to this church, and he has been calling this church to, they, they were citizens of the city of Philippi, uh, a, city, a city that was a colony of Rome, and they were full citizens of Rome, and he had been calling this church that was there in Philippi. Mario, can I just get you to flick the air conditioning off, please? Thanks. You guys will be okay, right? It's just noisy. There we go. Ah, oh. <laughs> forgot that. He's calling this church uh, there in Philippi to live as those who have been colonized by the kingdom of heaven. That just like citizens of Philippi would be loyal to, to Rome and they would have the benefit and the privileges of citizenship, so as followers of King Jesus, he was calling them, and the word of God calls us this morning, to live as those worthy of the gospel. And, 
and Paul's given all sorts of instructions in this call. He, he, he said, stand firm, be united, stand firm in the face of those who would oppose you, stand firm in the potential of conflict, uh, stand firm in spite of suffering, live as loyal citizens of, king, of, of the kingdom of heaven and your king, King Jesus. And what we saw was this, as Paul was talking about this, he began to take us through this incredible passage in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, calling us to have this mind in us, that which is in Christ Jesus, and talking about the nature of Jesus and who he was. And when you consider what Paul said and, and, and all that's actually there, and you stop and think about it, it's an incredibly demanding instruction. Incredibly demanding thing that he was calling us to, to em emulate Jesus. Th that's a high calling. <laughs> and, and when I th think about this, this life of faith, one of the things we talked about last week was this, that telling me to be like Jesus feels like this entirely unattainable thing until we discover that this is not about an, an outward pressure to conform, but it's about the inward power of the Spirit that God has given us to live like Jesus, to imitate Him. And we're to work out what God has worked into us, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so in chapter 2, Paul gave us three really practical instructions we saw last week. They were this. Shine, uh, speak, and sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And, and in that instruction, Paul pointed to these, these two men, uh, a son in Timothy and a soldier in Epaphroditus, two men who exemplified this kind of life. And so what Paul did was he, he took this demanding, hard-to-grasp concept of imitating and emulating Jesus, and he brought it down to earth. He made it practical. He made it tangible. He allowed us to touch it. And, and Paul took difficult instruction, and he brought it to this place of application for us in this sense, work out what God has worked in. It's the power of the Spirit that you need to submit to in your life. Shine and speak and sacrifice for Jesus. That's where we left off. And, and really we left off with this thought too, that, that, it's, that this is the key, that sacrifice is the key to discovering joy in the Christian life. That sacrifice for the kingdom leads to the Holy Spirit opening up the fountain of joy in your life. You know, it's like, it's a it was cool to hear Brennan share. I was thinking about this as he was sharing because it's like, it's a sacrificial thing, a scary thing sometimes to step out in faith and share the gospel with someone. And what happens? You do it. And what did he experience? What did he say? Joy. Of course. Because he sacrificed. He, he, he made an option to put the kingdom of God before his own fears and his own his own fleshly desires, and God opened up a fountain and said, here, drink of this well. And that's what God desires for us. And, and, and so I, I left us with this thought last week, and it was this. If your faith walk with Jesus is missing joy, then what it points to is that it's actually missing sacrifice. What sacrifices are you making for the kingdom of God? That's a healthy question we need to always ask ourselves. And so naturally, after sharing the examples of Timothy and, and Epaphroditus, Paul circles the wagons back around here, and he comes back to the subject of joy. That's where we're going to land this morning, in rejoicing. And he touches down on this subject, and as we come to chapter 3, Paul is going to give us three duties. These are responsibilities and obligations 
uh, that are upon us as citizens of heaven. So let's check out verse 1. It says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so Paul gives us here three obligations of heavenly citizenship. They're on the screen. They're this. We are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to be aware of some dangers. And we are to know the true marks of citizenship. And so let's chat about these. The first one, we're to rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's no wonder that, that, that for Paul, he said, it's no, it's no skin off my back. It's no trouble for me to tell you these things. Again, this is safe. This is a safe thing for me to repeat. Rejoice in the Lord. Because the truth is, is that that doesn't always come natural. And it doesn't come easy. But what seems to come easier for me is this. Inward grumbling, murmuring, complaining. I'm good at those things. Those come natural to, to human nature. Fault finding, you know. Seeking maybe to elicit sympathy. Whatever it is. Those come natural to human nature. Now don't raise your hand, but just pull you. Have you ever been arrested? <laughs> yeah, that's why I said don't raise your hand to this question. <laughs> Hopefully not, but you know in a room this size, statistics, there's some people in here that have been arrested. I'm sure of it, okay? Pardon me? What was that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Calvin, I didn't want to point you out. No, just kidding. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully not, but you know, like I said. But I would definitely give the person sitting next to you the eye. And uh, husbands, if that person sitting next to you is your wife, the day's not over, so be careful. <laughs> she could still be arrested, you know, it's early. So I don't want you to get, I don't want you to get her harmed and her arrested, so just watch that. But no, look at it, I jokingly asked that, have you ever been arrested? Now this is a pretty sweet part of following Jesus, because when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, check this out, as, as heavenly citizens... As citizens of the kingdom of God, you've been given the authority to make arrests. It's pretty cool. You can make a citizen's arrest. Anybody ever done that? I don't know. I don't even know if that's real. Anyways, I'll ask one of our former members later. But here's what you're to arrest. You are to handcuff the tendency in your life to murmur and complain. That needs to get locked up. That needs to get arrested. That needs to be handcuffed. You need to take prisoner in your life anything that would hinder you from rejoicing in the Lord. See, rejoicing in the Lord is both a duty and it is a privilege of following Jesus. And so we're to, I would say this, we should resist the temptation to depression. We don't say that very much in our culture. To call depression temptation or to call it sin and to resist it. Or to resist the temptation to being melancholy. Resist those things just like you would resist any sin. You know, Romans chapter 14 verse 23 says this, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 
And so we're to resist those things. We're to arrest them and we are to rejoice in the Lord. And part of maturing is learning to resist anything that resists joy. To arrest anything that resists joy. Now, we all, we all have those things in our lives that resist joy. And the reality is that sometimes your ability to make arrest is quick. It's like the, the work of the thief is easy to identify and it's quick to, he's quick to arrest. It's like, there it is. I know exactly what the source of that is. You're under arrest. You will not rob me of my joy in the Lord. Other times, detaining the culprit doesn't happen so quick and easy. Sometimes it's a manhunt. Sometimes you have to call on the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, and say, I need you to come out and sniff out what's going on in my life. I told you guys a couple weeks ago that I just had this, I had this kind of personal thing going on with someone, not here, and I was so angry in my heart. I just thought, God, I can't, this is like so unjustified. I don't even know how to navigate this. I need the work of the Holy Spirit to sniff this out and to root out in me what's going on because this ain't the other person. This is all me. And sometimes that, that, that citizen's arrest doesn't happen so quickly. Like I said, we need the Holy Spirit to, to sniff out what is robbing us of joy and what is going on our, in our hearts and then, and then we take hold of it and we say, you're, you're under arrest. And so the first obligation of heavenly citizenship is this, is that we are to rejoice in the Lord. It's a privilege and it's a duty. Now the second thing Paul says is in verse 2, it's this. We're to be aware of some dangers. There are some dangers. He says, look out for the dogs. I like that. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for the dogs. So let's talk about the dogs for a second here first. I'm I'm pretty sure there probably isn't a person in the room that at some point in their life hasn't had a run-in with a dog. Have you ever had a run-in with a dog? Yes. I, that's it? Come on. I have. I had a run-in with a dog. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I had this, it happened on King Road. King Road down the bottom, bottom of a Chaster there. And I was coming up King Road. I used to have this really cool bike when I was a kid. It was like an uh, early, early version of full suspension, the latest full suspension bikes. It, it looked like a motocross bike. It weighed about 75 pounds. <laughs> it had a plastic gas tank on there with a number plate, and it looked like a dirt bike, man. And you'd pedal this thing, and it was a beast. We used to ghost ride that bike. And we would launch that bike off at everything and crash it into every ditch, and you could not destroy that bike. It was an awesome bike. But I wasn't on that bike. I was on my mom's 10 speed, which is not cool to ride your mom's 10 speed. And so I, I was, sorry mom, but I, I, was, I, was coming up, I was coming up King Road, not on my super cool bike, on my mom's 10 speed, which actually saved my life. And as I was riding, this dog, a pit bull, lunged out of the ditch. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it there. And it lunged out of the ditch and I just started paddling as hard as I could and that thing came at me and he lunged at my right leg and I went like this and he missed and I managed to just get away you know the dog only missed because it exerted that energy into the into the lunge and yeah well down at the bottom of King Road there there used to be kind of this notorious house it had a pit bull at the front door and a pit bull in the back door usually they were locked up but not that day and I got away on my mom's 10 speed <laughs> 
Paul says this, you have to look out for the dogs. You gotta watch for the dogs. And in the mind of an ancient Jew, that reference to a dog, it's not like the cute little lap dog, like maybe you have at home, like we have at home. This is a reference to the mangy street mutts that were garbage-eating scavengers, the unclean animal. You think about any nation that just has those dogs roaming free and eating garbage. And in the mind of an a, of a ancient Philippian, the reference to a dog was different. It stood to, for ferocity and untamed greediness in Greek culture. And so the warning is this. You need to look out for those dogs. Look out, beware of those who are quarrelsome. Beware of those with a contentious spirit, those who under the guise of religion are, are uh, impure and unclean. Those who themselves are not only defiled, but they are seeking to defile others with their bite, with their jaw, with their ability to sink flesh, their teeth into the flesh. Look out for those who bite. Look out for the dogs, the dogs that snap at your heels, rabid and infectious with their bite. It's, it's the bite of the false teacher, those who are quarrelsome and contentious. Paul says you've got to always watch for that as a citizen of the kingdom. But he also says this, look out for evildoers. Some translations say evil workers rather than evildoers. And the, and the evil worker are, are those that teach that we are saved by faith plus something, Faith plus some good work, in particular the, the works of the law. And see, the problem with, with that teaching, that, that teaching that we're saved with by, by Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus some work, Jesus plus some law, the problem with that teaching is that those works are works of the flesh. They are not working out what God has worked in by the power of His Spirit. It is outward pressure to conformity. And the works of the law are motivated by that outward pressure. It's performed by the flesh, not the spirit. And in the end, these works don't bring glory to Jesus, but they bring glory to me. They bring glory to the one who performed the work. We know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 very well. It says this, for, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. So no one can be saved by doing good works, not even religious works. And for a follower of Jesus, we, we say this, good works are the fruit at the end of the branch. It is the fruit of faith, not the basis of salvation, but the fruit of salvation. And so he says, look out for the evildoers. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul's ministry was, was dogged by these teachers who were called Judaizers. That's what we refer to them as. And, and they, were, they were teachers who didn't deny that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't deny the gospel, so to speak. They did not deny that the gospel was the power of God for, salvation, for the salvation of all who would believe. But what they insisted was this, that any Gentile follower of, of Jesus, that while the, these Gentile followers of Jesus could only really truly be saved, with the insistence that they conform to the Mosaic law. 
And then they could come into the fullness of the gospel. And so they, they, they taught that, that a Gentile could not be saved unless he was circumcised according to the tradition of the Mosaic law. And that that was what was truly essential for salvation. And, and Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. It's this, this sarcastic way of talking about the religious rite of circumcision. And we know this as followers of Jesus, that the true Christian experience is, is a spiritual circumcision that does not require a fleshly operation. It's a work of the Spirit, what God is doing in us through His Spirit. And so what these teachers were doing was they were, they were taking a work of the Spirit and they were demanding that a work of the flesh be added to it. And they taught that this work of the flesh was a physical operation that needed to happen for true salvation. We know this, only Jesus can save. See, faith in Christ accomplishes a work that no plastic surgery, no scalpel of the, of the surgeon can perform. What a physical operation can't do, faith in Jesus Christ does. It results in the transformation of the human heart. And so Paul says this, look out for the mutilators of the flesh. And to contrast the false, Paul describes for us the the genuine follower of Jesus. He calls him this the true circumcision. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is the third obligation of heavenly citizenship. We're to know what are the true marks of a heavenly citizen. What are the marks? What are the defining features and factors of a true citizen of heaven? And here they are. Firstly, worship by the Spirit of God. That, that, that phrase can actually be translated this way. For we are, the circums- we are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit. Remember Jesus said that? The woman at the well. He told her that the time is coming is now here when, when those who worship will worship in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshipers my father desires, Jesus said to that woman. Do we know what it is to worship the Lord in spirit? Do we know what that means? It means that you you, you don't depend on good works. You don't rely on anything you've done. What you do is this, you approach God through faith in Jesus Christ and here's what happens. The result is inward renewal and empowerment by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're to be people who live and serve by, the, by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the first mark of a true citizen is this. We worship God in spirit. Those who add, it's dangerous. Those who teach, adding, dangerous. Watch out for the dogs, for the mutilators of the flesh, for the evildoers. The second mark of true citizenship is this, is that we're to glory in Christ Jesus. See, the only mutilation that can save you happened on a cross 2,000 years ago. 
That's the only mutilation of the flesh that will result in your salvation. It happened to Jesus Christ. He was mutilated. He was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the only boast of the true Christian is Jesus. I have nothing else. You have nothing else to boast in. It's Jesus alone and Jesus is enough. And his personal and perfect work on the cross is the absolute only grounds for salvation. No one comes to the Father except through him. And therefore, Paul says this, Jesus is to receive all the glory. His name alone is to be magnified. And because of this, our only boast is in Jesus. And that's the third mark of citizenship. We put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. You know, there was a story, there was a story of a lady who was arguing with her pastor about this, about faith and works and that whole balance of this, what that looks like. And um, she said to her pastor, she said, I think like getting to heaven's like rowing a boat. You know, one, one oar is faith and one oar is good works. And, and you row. And if, if you only, you know, row one oar, then the result is you go around, you go around in circles. And the pastor said this to her. He said, there's only one thing wrong with your illustration. And it's this. Nobody's going to heaven in a rowboat. <laughs> you ain't going to row your way to heaven. It's just a reality. There is only one good work that will get the sinner into heaven, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the only work. And the Judaizers put their trust in the flesh. The true Christian only trusts in Jesus. We, we don't put our trust in physical or intellectual or spiritual or ceremonial or religious works of the flesh because those things all stand in contrast to faith in Jesus Christ. The true circumcision trusts only in Christ Jesus. Now it's interesting because you, you look at this text where before, you know, when Paul was, where we were last week and looking at this, Paul began to point to Timothy and Epaphroditus. He said, there, there's two men that are examples of this principle that I'm teaching you, Philippian church. So it's, it's Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are examples of men who are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They are working out what God worked in by his spirit. They are practicing the ideas of what it means to shine for Jesus, to speak for Jesus, to sacrifice for King Jesus. And now Paul this time comes to another example. And this time... He uses himself. And, and this is an interesting demonstration to me of what Paul was teaching. It was just like hitting me so fresh as I was considering this. See, this is a scripture you're very familiar with. That we're going we're to just touch down at verse 11 this morning. We're not going to go any further than that today. But this is a passage of scripture that you're probably very familiar with. And here Paul uses himself as an example. Now remember, this is what a citizen is called to do. Here's what a citizen is called to do. We're to rejoice in the Lord. We're to be aware of dangers. And we are to know the true marks of citizenship. Now Paul, let's talk about Paul for a second. Paul was a man, he was the person 
who had all the marks the dogs would use to identify one of their own. Paul had all the marks of an evildoer. Paul had all the identifying factors of a mutilator of the flesh. Paul was the very kind of man that he was saying, watch out for, at least before he was in Jesus. He was this very thing. But Paul was the complete package. I mean, Paul had the bite marks and the dogs had gotten hold of him and they had torn into his flesh and he loved it. He took glory in it. Paul was infected with, the, with that which is most dangerous to all of humanity. And it's this, the toxin of religion, of self, of works. And the evil workers had perfected their design in Paul. That's what you need to know about Paul. I mean, he was the masterpiece. Paul was the Mona Lisa of evildoers. Paul was the perfect expression of their perfected work. That's Paul. That's what he was. They had mutilated his flesh and he loved it. He took pride in it. He gloried in it. He bragged about his mutilated flesh. The dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. You know what Paul was for them? He was their evangelist. He did their bidding. He pursued their vision. He lived out their mission. And Paul was rabid. He was totally rabid. Like a dog infected with rabies. Like read the book of Acts. That's what we have to know about Paul. Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. He is the picture of a rabid dog chasing down those of the kingdom of heaven. An evil worker, a mutilator of the flesh. And this is the context with which he begins to point to himself as an example of this description. And it really makes this section come off the page. Check it out, verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's an unreal statement. To say, as unto righteousness under the law, blameless. Yeah, it was outward conformity, but no inward transformation. That's what we got to know about that statement. On the outside, Paul perfectly conformed to Mosaic law. He's a total package, man. Think of the perfect man? That was Paul, outside of Jesus. He had it all. And as far as the dogs were concerned, he had the best nationality. He had the best birth. He had the best relationship to the law. He had the best relationship to the enemies, his perceived enemies of Israel and of God. Born to the purest of Hebrew families. Mutilated on the eighth day. I think it's fun to just say that instead of circumcised. Mutilated on the eighth day. He was no proselyte. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. Benjamin along with Joseph were among 
The descendants of Jacob, the 12 tribes, they were Jacob's two favorite sons. We know that from the book of Genesis. Joseph and Benjamin, his favorites. This is something from Benjamin, man. When 10 tribes took off on Solomon and King David's line, my tribe stayed loyal. I'm a Benjamite. When, when God went looking for his first king for the nation of Israel, he found one of my brothers, Saul. I'm a Benjamite. His tribe was faithful to the house of David, man. With regards to the law, he was a Pharisee. 6,000 Pharisees in, at that time, and, and I think it's probably likely that Paul was one of 70 Sanhedrin members. Like the top 70, the cream of the crop out of 6,000. Under the, He tells us elsewhere in the scriptures that he was under the tutelage of the most prominent rabbi in the world, Gamaliel. Look, man, if anybody was going to heaven, Paul's a man. If anybody was going to heaven, it was Paul. He was the orthodox of the orthodox. He kept the law and he kept the traditions perfectly. And if that wasn't enough, the perfect specimen must also vehemently oppose the enemies of religion and destroy them and their lives and their lies. Paul, Paul defended his orthodox beliefs by persecuting the followers of that pretender, Jesus. He was there. Scripture tells us he was there lending a hand when Stephen was stoned. He, he took, Paul took upon himself the role of general and he coordinated the attack against the church. This is the kind of man we're dealing with here. And so Paul could boast in perfect heredity and upbringing and training, and the icing on the cake was a zeal. It's like you could not stop him. No one had to light his fire, man. That's, that's, I think Paul, persecuting the church was the pinnacle of his perfection, which is interesting. Like if you think about it, about those who persecute the followers of Jesus. Persecuting the church was the pinnacle of his perfection. Not simply to resist, but to destroy those who would oppose him. He's a complete package, man. This is a rabid dog. And then it happened. And then it happened. You know what happened? Jesus intercepted. Jesus lay hold of him. On that road to Damascus, Jesus knocked Paul off his high horse. And Paul came to faith in Jesus. And Paul came to realize this. Man, all that stuff, everything that he felt was in his corner, he came to realize that there is nothing greater in this life than to know Jesus. It's the best thing in life. It's the very best thing this life can offer to know Jesus. Look at verse seven. We're, gonna, we're just gonna touch down here this morning. We're gonna dig into this next week. Verse seven, he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What's Paul telling us? It's this simple. This morning, this is the thought that I want to leave, leave us with. Knowing Jesus is worth everything. Knowing Jesus is worth everything. And we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's our identity. It's who we belong to. And so Paul tells us this. Be those who rejoice in the Lord. Arrest anything that would take your joy. Be aware, yes, there are dangers. But here, so that you can clearly identify, these are the true marks of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They worship by the Spirit of God. They worship in spirit and truth. They glory in Christ Jesus. And they put no confidence in the flesh. You know, when we speak, when Paul speaks of living a life worthy of the kingdom, he says, live a life worthy of the kingdom. Live a life worthy of the gospel which has saved you. This is it right here. You know, it's just a reminder that Christianity, that following Jesus is so simple. It's so simple. Worship by the Spirit of God. Glory in Christ Jesus. Don't put confidence in your flesh. And follow him. Knowing Jesus is worth losing everything. It's worth losing everything. And Paul gave it all up. The rabid dog, the evildoer, the man who had it all. He gave it all up and he, and he took, and we know this about him, that zeal turned, that zeal for persecuting became zeal for Jesus. Count all things a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. And this morning, uh, we're gonna sing that song as a deer. I'm gonna invite you guys to stand with me. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And this morning, I, I just wanna ask you to take that song today and say, God, I'm just making a, an, a, a personal assessment right now. I want to take application and, and just apply it to my life. And, and I want to say to you, Jesus, as a citizen of heaven, I want to count all things a loss for knowing you. I want to know you more. I want to pant after you more. And so I, I just encourage you with that as we worship this morning. And I'm going to uh, hang at the back. And Andrew and Barbara, would you guys mind hanging at the back? And Lisa will be back there with me. And if you like prayer, maybe just over any of those things mentioned this morning, uh, we'd like to pray with you. And so would you bow your heads with me right now? And let's pray. And as we bow our heads, I want to give this opportunity to you. 
Maybe even just at the assessment of your life and hearing the word of God this morning, you say, I don't know this Jesus. I don't know this Jesus that Francis received that Brendan told him about. I don't know this Jesus that Paul was like willing to give up everything. But he sounds awesome. <laughs> I'd like to know him. I, I, I want you to know that that's his greatest desire, that you would know him, that you'd walk in relationship with him. And he desires to make himself known to you. And, and so I want to give you this opportunity this morning just to say this. Look, if you want to know Jesus, then it's this simple. The scripture says that we just say, Jesus, I'm, I'm turning away. I'm turning away from sin. I'm repenting of that stuff that would break my relationship with you. And in faith, I'm turning to you. And I, I invite you, Jesus, into my life. I want to know you, Jesus. And so I want to give you that opportunity if you would like to invite Jesus into your heart, into your life this morning. Um, would you just raise your hand? I'm going to get everybody to bow your heads. Just close your eyes. And maybe you just like prayer to receive Jesus this morning. I'd like to pray with you. And so I invite you to just raise your hand. That thought is just going through your mind. It's like, I don't know this Jesus. But I want to. So, Lord, this morning we come, we come before you, God. If I, th if I think about Paul, Lord, and all the things that he counted lost for the sake of knowing Jesus, uh, I, I haven't given up a fraction of that stuff, Lord. And yet, God, like your people here, uh, I, we, want to be those who say knowing you, Jesus, is the best. It's the greatest, Lord. And so, God, I, I just uh, I ask you to come and work in each one of our hearts this morning. I ask, God, that, that the hound of your, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, that he'd sniff out our lives, Lord. That he'd expose, God. That he'd expose the things that have gotten in the way of us knowing you. And, Lord, this morning, just... Uh, in repentance, Lord, we reject those things. Lord, for, forgive us, Lord. Forgive me and, and each of us, Lord, of our grumblings, of our complaining, Lord, of our murmuring, of being melancholy or depressed, Lord. God, we want you to change those things in us. God, come and work out your salvation in us. Lord, if we've been infected by the bite of the dogs, Lord. Would you just get that infection out of our lives, Lord? We don't want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in Jesus alone. Lord, if we've become those who are leaning on the mutilation of our flesh, God, what we need is a work of your spirit. We ask, God, that you would come and do a fresh work of your spirit in us, in Jesus' name. Lord, knowing you, it's the greatest. It's the best. God, may our lives be turned in that direction where we would just, that would be our pursuit with zeal, with desire, and with casting off all the things that would hold us back. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.